Hi, I'm Mick Cronin and this is What's Your Cause, a podcast in which I interview a variety of guests about a cause that is close to them, something they feel passionate about. I want to start conversations that educate, inspire and shine a light on causes around the globe that can or are having a significant social impact. But here's the kicker. Each guest will nominate the next and become a chain that will lead from my very first guest to my last and ultimate guest of season one, Barack Obama. Got your attention? Thought I might. So, welcome to episode eight of What's Your Cause? Um, I hope you enjoyed um, the last episode with Samantha Payne. Um, truly uh, inspiring lady, doing incredible things um, and really such important things with uh, with pink elephants and you would have heard that Sam nominated uh, Rosie Thomas uh, as my next guest so Rosie launched Project Rocket with her sister Lucy um, when she was fresh out of high school and has dedicated the last 16 years to growing Australia's youth driven movement against bullying hate and prejudice Project Rocket has positively impacted hundreds of thousands of young people and now serves as a go-to youth cyber safety partner for the looks of Google, Instagram and Facebook. You'll hear in this interview, Rosie is incredibly passionate, driven. She has just got so much energy and the work that she's doing with Project Rocket, uh, you know, I, I feel is, is just extraordinary and so, so important. So Rosie's work has been recognised by UNICEF um, amongst the 12 digital champions of children's rights in the digital age. In 2019, she became a recipient of the Order of Australia Medal, recognising which was recognising her services to young people and the work against bullying. Um, she's a Westpac Change Fellow, um, and she's got many, many other accolades, um, you know, for in recognition of the work that she does. But in this episode, we break down everything about Project Rocket, about how it started, the work that she does, how she got into it, um, and so forth. Great conversation. Not going to go into any more. And with that, here's episode eight with Rosie Thomas. Rosie Thomas, welcome to Watch Your Cars podcast. Hey, Mick. It's uh, so nice to have you. Um, and um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to our conversation. But um, we just get straight into it, Rosie. So, Rosie Thomas, what's your cause? Well... <sighs> That's a good question, given the podcast I'm on, Mick. Um, the cause that I guess I'm most passionate about that I've been dedicated to, I'm going to say my whole life, is actually an issue that's been around for not just decades and centuries, but it feels ageless. And it's actually the issue of bullying, hate, prejudice, discrimination, all of the other issues that fuel bullying in all of its forms. That's what I'm really passionate about. And... When did this passion um, or when did you start to like, you know, kick into action or when did it ignite something in you? Can you go back and tell us how it all kind of started for you in this in, in this journey? Yeah, I feel like to tell you the story, I almost need to go back to the very beginning. I'm not, I don't mean the beginning of time. I mean the beginning of my life because people often ask me, oh, did you start an anti-bullying organization, like dedicate your life to tackling bullying because of a single horrific traumatic experience at school? And it really wasn't like that for me at all. And it actually, I think, goes all the way back to the beginning of my life. Um, and actually the relationship that I have with my mum. My mum is this like single, fierce mother, um, incredibly passionate, wears her heart on her sleeve, um, is a little bit like a turtle, I've always thought. Like she's always sticking her neck out for the common good and sometimes getting trodden on in the process. And I think growing up, um, I had these early memories of, early primary school, like being five or six years old and coming home and saying to mum, oh, I saw something really awful at school today. And it could be, you know, someone being left out as simple as that, or it could be someone just really mistreating someone else. And mum's answer, mum's question, I should say, that she'd asked me every single time was, okay, well, well what are you going to do about it? And sometimes it was fierce and sometimes it was gentle, but over the, over the years, I, I, I kept her voice in my head as we tend to do with parents, I guess, or, or influential people in our life. This question that's like, can I do something about it? Like, like, am I capable of intervening in a situation and actually changing the course of things? And, you know, when I see stuff that I don't like, can I actually do something about it? And I think like mum, you know, really, really handed down some of her values to me and my sister, essentially, who, even though we're totally different people, people often mistaken us as the exact same person because we're co-founders, co-CEOs and sisters, essentially. 
But um, I think it just goes to show that there's no one type of person to create change in the world because we are opposites. Loose is like, I described it growing up, Mick. Loose is a bedroom door closed person. I was a bedroom door open person. So, you know, um, I'm extroverted, outgoing. Um, you know, I say, speak pretty freely, say what's on my mind. And my sister is this like deeply imaginative introvert who's taught herself public speaking and is absolutely phenomenal at it. Um, but I guess like we, we have so many different values, but the core values that I think have gone into why we've been tackling this issue were actually handed down by mum. And there were issues like social justice, values like social justice, fairness, kindness. Uh, and this question, this burning question, when you see stuff that you don't like, what are you going to do about it? And I guess like fast forward into high school, I still got that question in my head, but I started to see things that were way worse than people leaving people out. You know, I started to see people being really, really mistreated. And and high school is a breeding ground for, for these issues, you know, like we see it play out every single day. I always kind of thought um, high school was a little bit like a lottery, Mick. Like imagine if on the first day of year seven, everyone rocks up at the school gates and they're like oversized uniforms, their parents have bought them. And you, you, you all reach into a bucket and you pull out a raffle ticket with a number on it. And then based on that number on the ticket, the rest of your schooling is determined, like how you're treated, right? Like if you draw a lucky ticket, you're treated really well, you know, it means that people treat you with respect or they at least listen to what you have to say. You know, teachers call on you in class, you build confidence, you build relationships, you put your hand up, you know, you get offered leadership opportunities. And, and I guess I drew a fairly lucky ticket when I was at school. But I think the, the thing that I started to realise with this ticket, even though it's totally bullshit, is that some people draw a really crappy ticket and it feels like it's just a ticket they drew, that because of the, the number on their ticket, it's already been determined that they're going to be mistreated, that, you know, that they'll be judged or they'll be labelled or they said one stupid thing early on in year seven and then they're, they're totally labelled for the rest of their days at school. And you really see the way that when people are judged and labelled and, and trodden on, you, you really see the impacts and you see it happen really quickly at school. You know, I remember that um, by like year eight, you know, the people that kind of put themselves out there and got shat on, they stopped putting their hand up in class. You know, they stopped forming relationships. Like you could just see their growth like stunted, right? And by the end of school, those people that drew the crappy ticket were kind of like this empty shell of the amazing kid they were when they rocked up at the school gate in year seven that day, you know? And I just remember thinking like, towards the end of high school, that this is just so unfair. And yes, I had my mum's voice in my head. It was like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And sometimes at school I did something. Sometimes at school I did nothing, which I really regretted. And sometimes I participated. Like totally, bullying is complex, right? Um, fitting in at school, the pressure to fit in, the pressure to belong um, can sometimes mean that we do things that we regret. And I think when we're tackling an issue like bullying, I think it's important to remember that we're all humans and capable of both phenomenal behaviours, standing up for people, reaching out for people, caring, and also behaviours that we're not proud of. And so I think like getting to the end of school, um, you know, I finished high school as a fairly happy kid, ready to take on the world. But yeah, looking around me, it was pretty devastating to see that there were so many people that I went to school with that weren't that were, as I said, um, just a, a former shell of themselves. And I guess like at that point, um, you know, it was a crossroads in my life. You know, I'd finished high school and I was ready to take on the world. That's what I thought happened when you finished high school, right? But no, yeah. it was disappointing. Like I was like, is this it? <laughs> you know, what do you do? You go to university? Do you just, you know, fade away into the background? Like what about all this passion? I want to build something. I want to tackle something. And most importantly, it was this issue, this burning issue. I was angry. You know, I was so frustrated with the state of things and I felt like no one was doing anything about this issue in schools in a way that actually reached young people. And so I guess it was then and there, my sister and I, shortly after finishing high school, decided to, um, you know, I'm going to credit mum here, like answer that little voice in our head that was like, well, what are you going to do? And we're like, okay, well, let's, let's do something about it. Well, let's try and do something about it. And I guess that the, the kernels of Project Rocket was formed. The lottery ticket analogy is like so true. When I first met you, when I first heard what you did and, and that I was like instantly drawn to and I thought, what, this is one of the most important things, you know, in anyone's life because it is such a, 
um, it's such a life changer, such a deal changer. And you say it's something that just, you know, takes someone that's so confident and so, you know, full of the joys of the world and in no time at all can actually transform them into the opposite, as you as you said as well. Um, so I'm really interested though, right? Because you say, all right, you finish high school and it would have been quite easy, I reckon, Rosie. Like, no one would have forgiven you for just going on and doing your life and, and, and your sister and Lucy doing that. Yeah? Nick, you've met you're me. You're back. Am I, am I the Yeah, well, I have met you. <laughs> oh, no, you're not a person that's, that's backwards and going forwards. And, and I know you're so driven and passionate about social justice and that. So it never, it does not surprise me at all. But what I'd be keen to know is like, you're what, 18 years of age and around that age, 19 years of age, right? And you leave high school. And you could go in one direction, but you say, no, you know what? We've got to do something about this, yeah? So you and your sister spring into action. But that's easy said. How was it done? So what were the steps that you took in them early days to get Project Rocket off the ground and actually, you know, into schools and so forth as well? Can you, can you break that down for, for us? For sure, yeah. So I guess, like, first of all, a lot of people ask, or a lot of people asked early on, teachers, skeptical teachers early on would ask, what's your qualification? And... I probably should have had a qualification, but at the same time, I don't know what I possibly could have gone out and learned beyond the best qualification that I had. And that was that I was a young person. I had a really, really clear understanding of the issue. I'd experienced it myself. Year eight was a horrible year for me, Mick. Um, I knew all about it. I, I also had a really, really clear um, idea of the impacts that it had on my peers. And most importantly, we had an idea for how we could tackle it. And it was pretty distinct from the outset. It was a, um, yeah, basically a clear idea based on all of the things that didn't work when we were at school. And having just left, we were sort of the guinea pigs. And so I guess like first up, we, we came up with a new idea for what we wanted to see at school. So we're like, if this is the old world, it's like apathy, bullying, like power in numbers being used for evil, like all this horrible stuff going on. Well, what's our new world? So we came up with this new idea and it's a simple belief, but it's endured us all these years. And it's this, it's that we believe in a world where kindness and respect thrive over bullying, hate and prejudice. And every young person is free to realize their potential. Now, can you imagine every person, every young person being just free to be themselves? Like that the power of that, we see bullying, as I said before, it craps on people. Like it, it, it literally, as I explained over the course of a year and year and years in high school, it smothers your development. Like it actually extinguishes the opportunities. And so we had this new idea. And basically, um, as I said, also all these things that didn't work when we were at school. So Mick, first up, I remember when I was a student, and this still goes on a bit, but I'm sure you can recall from your time too. These were the approaches around the issues that young people face. You'd have um, typically an older person come in I was often, often an old, old white dude. I'm not going to lie. Like a scary old ex-police person, like a police, a cop, come in and sort of waggle your finger, waggle his finger at you, um, tell you off, talk about the doom and the gloom, and label young people as bullies and victims. These really both very damaging labels, and try and just scare you into doing the right thing, or they just bore you with a PowerPoint presentation. It was so unbelievably unrelatable. And we decided from there, we're like, right, we're going to do something really, really different. What do we want? We are young people. What do we want? One, it's got to be inspirational. It's got to be creative and fun. Like these issues have such a negative stereotype. Like the minute you walk into school and you say, even today, hey, kids, I'm here to talk about the issue of bullying. Like what do you expect? Eyes roll to the back of the head, like the, the, the loud groans. And do you blame them? You expect all of that negative judgment. And so what we want to do is really turn that on its head by going into schools, first and foremost, sending young people, relatable, respectful, um, diverse young people into schools to run workshops that work with young people instead of just like talking at them that are creative and inspirational and basically get to talk about the stuff that we didn't talk about when we were at school. We had no idea if it was going to work, obviously, Mick. Um, in fact, um, our hardest part early on, and this is so hard to believe at the time, but back then in 2006, there just were no anti-bullying programs in schools like this. And so we had to, we had to convince teachers that there should even be anti-bullying workshops in schools. This is a time when there was no well-being in the curriculum. You know, there was no time put aside to look after the, and care for young people in this way. Then we had to convince them that it shouldn't be them running it, the teachers shouldn't deliver it, adults shouldn't, that it should be young people, and then convince them that they should pay us to do it. So it was a really, really slow start, you know. 
I always joke that like our, our third silent business partner was Google because clearly after finishing high school, I had no business experience. I'd never heard the word like entrepreneur before, let alone I hadn't found my people. There was no like social change landscape at the time. People just thought we were nuts. Like I actually reckon even family members didn't get what we were doing until like five years ago. So, but we set about small and we started testing this thing in schools. You know, what happens when you do create a space where a cohort walks into the room as individuals and you spend the day with them and you actually get to connect them to each other and build those emotional connections with one another, see them in a new light, develop empathy for one another, and then come up with strategies together that young people would actually be willing to use. So not like the crap I was told when I was at school. I bet you were told this when you were at school, Mick. There were three strategies to standing up to bullying. Ignore it, walk away, or tell a teacher, basically. And the reality is that stuff just so much of the time doesn't work, and especially now that we're online so much. So I guess like, you know, over time though, we started to see that hang on, this thing is working. Like at the end of the day, that cohort of individuals would walk out as a collective and we'd see that we'd be having these conversations. Like with a bunch of year 11 guys, we were talking about like misogyny at school. And I'll say that as like a 19-year-old girl, that was pretty daunting to be in a room testing this stuff out as guinea pigs, like trialling this new approach of like creativity and show not tell so using random social experiments and games and real life stories instead of just telling messages at young people we had no idea if it would work but over time it sort of did and and I think like we had no grand plans to start an organization I honestly didn't know that you could as a young person I didn't know I had no one to look to had I realized that Project Rocket would grow to reach 600,000 young people like directly in our workshops alone I never would have had the confidence to do this. Like there's no way I would have thought I did. But actually this groundswell started and over time we actually started attracting other young people like us who not only wanted more Project Rocket in their school but then they finished school and they wanted to join <laughs> Project Rocket and, and they wanted to deliver the workshops in schools and before long we realised that this wasn't a little community project or a little side hustle business that actually it was, yeah, a movement that was instigated by a workshop in schools but was led by a bunch of hungry young people who were dissatisfied with the way that school was, the power dynamics, and and I guess saw an opportunity to create that change at school, you know, and in online spaces and, and beyond that. Because what happens when um, young people are mistreated or when young people bully others? What happens when they grow up? They become adults who are mistreated and bully others. So I guess like o over the years, um, you know, Project Rockets evolved in so many different ways and I've grown up doing this. Like, Project Rocket raised me, you know, it's my other parent, all the young people that we've worked with. But I guess like the, the one thing that I've, I've sort of been drawn to is this idea that we can create a more inclusive, compassionate society and it starts with young people. Thanks for for explaining that. Like it's, it's Well, did I explain that? Make, I, I, I hope I did. Uh, you, it, was, you, it was a bit rounded No, up. you did. No, no, you did. But like, you know, it's it's no mean feat to, to do what you do, you know. And I know I've heard you talk about it a long, a long time. You just mentioned, you just chilled a few numbers there that are like massive numbers, you know, um, as well. And it's no mean feat to actually start something from the bottom up and to do what you do. And, and you did it at a time when, as you said, you were leading in this. It wasn't being done before. And to break down the doors is always difficult as well because it's obviously kind of, I would imagine it, there's resistance as well. Um, and you need to find some of the kind of champions as well. Do you, can you reflect back and see, was there any kind of people or, or you know, schools or organizations or people that were at that time that really helped you at that stage or really got it and said, you know what, like, this is so important. We, we, you have to keep going at this and we'll help you. Yeah, I can. And, and I think um, one person, one organization that might come as a great surprise to, to your listeners, Mick, is actually in 2012, so six years later, um, Facebook had moved into Australia. You know, when we started Project Rocket, Facebook was in nappies, you know. They'd only been around for two years. It was this quirky, weird thing that people didn't understand that hadn't hit Australia. I was all over my space, like no one's business, um, you know, an angsty teen. But Facebook just didn't really exist. But by 2012, it was prolific, you know. And I think for us um, tackling these issues at, at Project Rocket, we never saw a distinction between an online world and an offline world or the way that adults were talking about like, uh-oh, technology, like young people are logging in and logging off. We didn't see it like that. We just see that these are social issues 
playing out in a technological space. And so for us, it became very, very natural that we would all of a sudden, but quite permanently, be talking about, you know, online spaces and how we how we deal with bullying online. Like it, was, it was natural. But in 2012, Facebook moved to Australia and they did this huge global campaign called the Be Bold, Stop Bullying campaign. And when they moved here, they could have chosen to work with the National Anti-Bullying Charity that had been around for about 25 years um, and did amazing work, still continues to do amazing work. But for some reason, they chose this tiny little grassroots youth-led movement that at the time, I think, I think that was like my sister, myself, and two staff, um, our first staff, essentially. I mean, yeah, it was just wild. And we ran this phenomenal campaign together. And, um, you know, it really began what's been now, we're going on to 11 years working together. And I know that that might sound really controversial to so many people. And I really understand that, um, you know, there's a lot of distrust on, on a good day and, and hatred on a bad day for social media platforms. And our, our philosophy has always been, yeah, if we want to tackle these issues, we need to sit in the tent with the same people that can actually create the change. But fundamentally, yeah, it was these people and they're individuals. Like if you look at our partners today, I guess um, they didn't just pick up the phone and call us. They'd randomly seen my sister and I and our two teammates um, emceeing a government event randomly. And I think they'd never seen um, young people talk with other young people on a stage with grown-ups about issues so directly and so real, vulnerable but safe. Um, and I guess got, got to sort of witness the magic that is what happens when you really help young people um, empower them to share their beliefs. And so, yeah, early on, that was one of the people. And, um, yeah, still to this day, you know, we've gone on uh, Facebook or Meta, the company, have invested nearly $2 million in Project Rocket over the last 10 years or so. And as a result, we've trained up, you know, 25,000 young people to be digital ambassadors. So they use seven to nine students all across Australia in every pocket of the country who are trained up and united to tackle online hate. Um, we've done other incredible work together over the years. We serve on their global safety advisory board. For us, it's not about accepting money or doing programs. It's actually about having um, a seat at the table where we can make sure young people's voices are heard and we can hold social media accounts, uh, platforms are, are accountable, essentially. Interesting what you said. I can imagine that, yeah, people would say, you know, oh, well, you know, Facebook is where and, and social media is where a lot stems from. But I, I totally agree, like, Sometimes you have to sit in with the problem, don't you? Totally. You have to be in it. And and I think, you know, it, it, it's important that you are there speaking to them in case no one else is. And if anyone's going to be doing it, it should be you. And it should be, you know, the, representing the young people and, and everyone else that you, that you serve in this as well. Um, so my day was even very different. And I'm from Dublin, so it was even very different. So the first thing you were told was, deal with it. This is playing like a movie in my mind. Mick, growing up on the streets of Dublin. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't wasn't that exciting but you were like in school you're like deal with it meaning that you dealt with it meaning you dealt with the bully you know what i mean or you dealt with it so like handle it yourself and handle it the way you have no it's just that that's that's just old school ways we had no online you know um and and when you and you know this better than anyone else so i'm not saying anything that you don't know anyone else probably doesn't know but if you were if there was bullying going on it, it stayed in a certain place and then it it, it turned up the next day yeah so it was always in a, it was confined to one place because you probably went off and you kind of hung out with your friends in different areas. You never got to see them people. Generally, you might see them in the town, but it was never in a, in a, in a, a way where you had any interaction. But in school, in that area, that was the, the Colosseum of it, you know, as such. You know what I mean? Where it's, it, every day people came and that's what happened. Nowadays, and for a long time, and you just spoke about it with Facebook and, and social media platforms, as soon as it came to online, it, it, it took away that. So it became a, an all day, whenever you want it, it, it's there. You know what I mean as well. Can you talk to me a little bit about the work that you do in that online space versus the in-person space? Because I think what is it? I think I read a stat, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's like 27% of people are, will experience bullying and 10%, is that 10% online? Is that still the same? Or is, and is there a shift in that it going either way, like growing online. Can you talk to that a little bit? Yeah, so I guess the current stats tell us that one in five young Aussies report being cyberbullied every few weeks is the is the time frame, and one in four young Aussies report being bullied every one, 
every every few weeks. So, you know, what, what that data is telling us, if you like, is that it is more prolific offline. But what I would argue is that there is no distinction. Because Mick, if you think about it, as you said, your the Coliseum as you speak, as as you say, uh, at school all those years ago, was, you know, eight thirty to three thirty, five days a week, see you later on the weekend, see you later the minute you walk out of the school gate, the school bell rings, it's over. You're not contactable. But right now, and I've got my phone in my hand, I've got my laptop in front of me, I've got my iPad there, I've got Google Home there. You know, I'm, I'm constantly connected and I'm constantly available 24-7, which means that chances are if you're having a hard time at school, you're probably having a hard time online as well. And what we know is that even though the stats might tell us that young people aren't, it isn't happening as frequently, I would argue, and the young people that we work with would back this up, is that it's way harsher. Because the reality is when you're behind a screen, you can be conf- more confident, you know, especially when you're anonymous. The power of an anonymity, I think, has shown us in the last 10, 15 years just how wicked and cruel people can be. However, what I would say, and this is what we talk about working with young people, is that that confidence exists for good as well. You know, like you might not be the sort of person at school that feels like they've got any power or status or confidence, or you might not be the type of person that can think of something witty and funny to say on the spot, but being online can give us an enormous opportunity to leverage that power for good and intervene um, at a time in which we might not, or stand up for ourselves, or, you know, so many people find it really awkward, understandably, I think grown-ups do too, to reach out and show care for others. It's vulnerable, right, to say, hey, Mick, I just want to say I saw what happened before and I disagree with the way that you're being treated. Now, Mick, that would have a transformational effect on you, right? It could actually stop you from going so far down a really horrible path because you know you're not alone and you know that people disagree. But so many people don't do it because it's just so awkward. But what we're seeing is a whole movement online where people are being more connected to one another, are shooting someone a private message or commenting dislike on a, on a thread of hateful comment and then having other people like the comment that says dislike so they're using their power for good. So these are all skills and strategies that we can teach. The reality is when we're scrolling through our phones, you know, we're on our news feed on Facebook or TikTok or whatever, and we see something horrible, I reckon 99% of us go, oh, man, that is awful. But how many people keep scrolling? Because are you motivated in the moment to stand up? Do you care in the moment about standing up? And do you have actual cool, credible strategies that aren't going to throw you under the bus? So I think like when we're working with young people, it's about not just teaching strategies because young people aren't going to be motivated to use anything if they don't give a crap about one another. So the first thing is really like building empathy in people. And and I think part of that is like really celebrating difference. And I think the online community also does this in amazing ways. But it can also be a really, really um, horrible, divisive place. You look at what's happened to Twitter in the last year or so with Elon Musk taking over. We have actually stepped down from their Trust and Safety Council um, as part of their advisory because we can no longer. Um, we're not sitting in the tent, as I said before. We're, we're outside the tent. So these are all, all um, you know, skills and attributes that you can teach in young people. But First and foremost, it starts with us and raising kids. And I think this is what parents are actually better at than they think they are because adolescence in many ways is still very similar to, to what it has been for many years before, the core issues, you know. And I think, like, what do we do? How do we teach a young person in the moment to intervene or to disagree or to stand up or to do the right thing? And it's character, it's, it's values, it's ethics. And I think for us when we were at school, we didn't do any of that stuff. But that's what Project Rocket started to do. It was like, how can we expect young people to stand up if they don't know what they stand for? So that's what it's really about. It's like really like helping young people identify like what their values are, you know, what's their bottom line? What 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 will they not accept? And also then, what do they want to cultivate? You know, recognising that if I want to be remembered as a caring person from school, I actually have to be caring <laughs> to be remembered that way. So it's like really having these conversations early on. And regardless of whether or not bullying is happening online or offline, these are the kind of um, people, the kind of individuals that if we are going to build a kind of more inclusive life for all of us, these are the types of people that we need to be cultivating. I'd imagine there's lots of layers to it, right? So, uh, and you're talking about when, you know, young people, you know, go home and, and you talk about the family and, and the home, right? But the home cannot sometimes, in a lot of cases, 
is in a, a place where open conversation, dialogue is, is encouraged and relationships back there between parents and kids is not, cannot always be strong. So what I'm gathering, and, and as you were speaking, it was just coming into my head, like the importance that young people play for young people is just so evident in, in, in I'd imagine in what you do you, you don't have them layers at home because a young person can go home and they can't they can't speak to anyone about it they can't they don't want it and they're also then dealing with what they're dealing with online and and, and probably in person but yeah the power of someone in their school or a friend or just someone that they know to reach out and be that person to help them to open up or at least help them to know that someone cares about them that must be incre- that must be incredibly important I think 100%. I think it is possible to change the culture of school environments and online. Online is a trickier is a trickier approach, but but in order to do that, it's about cultural change around how we behave. Like like it's it's as simple as, you know, you like why did you start it? Why did you think you could start this, you know, all those years ago? Because I I almost experimented with these strategies throughout school. I'd experimented with what happens if in a school environment, bullying is uncool and standing up is cool. Do you know what I mean? Like it's as simple as that. Like if at the time, you know, everyone piles on because they just want to be part of the group and the, the group behaviour is to put others down, then that's the culture that's going to be existing within a school. But what happens if people use their power for good? So, for example, you know, there were times at school, not all years, but where I had status or power and I'd be like, oh, you know, I'd intervene and I'd be like, um, don't say that you dickhead or something and just stand up for someone else. And it was amazing how other people would be like, yeah. And you'd be like, okay, well, I just yeah. shifted the power of the group there. So I think, yeah, as, as you said, there's, there's nothing more powerful than your peers who have your back and that validate you and that let you know that the way that you're being treated is not okay. The other fact of the matter is, as you said, it's like if young people are going to go to other young people for help, we need to equip young people with the right tools to be able to give good help. You know, whether it be around anxiety or depression or really horrible stuff they're seeing online, like harmful content that they're seeing online, you know, and some of the um, advice that young people might give is, okay, it's time you take this to an adult, you know, like, and, and that's important. I think adults will always really need to play a role. And so they're a very important part of this equation. I think parents or, or caregivers in that, in that mind. But, um, yeah, fundamentally, it's, it's our peers. It's their support we want. So going into it a little bit deeper into actually what you do, and I want to get back to what you talked about with the parents because I'm interested to know if Project Rocket, what you do working with parents or what support you can give them in that initial stages when they, you know, have that really horrible moment or, you know, where they realise that they, you know, the child, you know, in front of them is, you know, telling them that they're having a hard time of being bullied. But I want to go back a little bit, like, can we break down a little bit and talk a bit about what you do when you go into schools and how you um, ignite that kind of conversation, how you get people to be vulnerable and to, you know, put their, you know, put their bullshit at the door a little bit and, and actually, you know, start to have real conversations that can be challenging, but can lead to greater, greater things. hundred percent. I think it, it is so, it is hard. It's not easy. And I think that's why um, it involves, yes, yeah, so much training and involves finding the right young people. I guess the way that we sort of look at it is, you know, we've employed over 100 young people over the, you know, last, you know, 10 years. And ultimately, I almost see it as like we're recruiting for amazing people with potential, but ultimately we incubate them as leaders over at Project Rocket. You know, we, we, we we want their we want their um their talents and their experiences, but we also recognise that um, as engaging diverse young people in employment and sending them into schools to talk about issues they've had personal experience with can be really hard. So it involves a lot of training, but ultimately we send you know teams of presenters into schools, and I think that's probably the most powerful thing. First up is that you know as a student you're getting to see someone in front of you that represents you in a way that you can kind of you know you can't be what you can't see is what they say and I remember like over the years even um, when I ran workshops all those years ago going into say Wangaratta a a regional community here in um, Victoria I think (laughs) in Victoria and um, you know meeting a meeting a young guy who called himself the only gay in the village um, who was so unbelievably shelled himself already as I said he was like only in year eight but the power of seeing people come in and validate um, his identity and have you see his year level validate that identity because they're actually 
respecting the person up the front and they're cool and they're engaging um, was so powerful for that person. They actually felt like they could, um, you know, come out and be more of themselves um, at school and not just online. Um, but fundamentally as well, we recognise that talking about these issues is really hard and so we don't just go in and just talk about the issue, you know, blatantly. We, we I guess, we use bullying as a bit of a Trojan horse to get us into school. So it's like that's what teachers will book now, which is great. But actually when we're in there, we go in and we talk about the things that young people are actually really chomping at the bit to talk about. So it's stuff like consent, you know, it's stuff like ableism, transphobia, misogyny, um, all of these sorts of issues. But we also take a show-not-tell approach, Mick, and I mentioned that before, that, like, we decided from the beginning, and this is why Project Rocket's maybe a little bit different or a bit weird at times, that we would never stand up the front and tell, that we'd always try and come up with a random learning experience that means that it can unite young people so let's take a group of grade fives for example some of them are online a lot of them are most of them but a lot of them actually aren't so when you're going in to talk about an issue like cyberbullying it's like how do you get everyone on the same page get them feeling really comfortable and like they can participate in this and also prepare them well what we do in that situation is we go in and we run like a random social experiment that has nothing to do with bullying nothing to do with online everyone has fun everyone participates and then at the end of that learning experience there's like an aha moment where we actually use use that um, weird social experiment as a metaphor for what's going on online and then we're able to have really real discussion so with older students it works really well as well because um as I said, there's so much judgment and stereotype, negative stereotypes about talking about these issues. But if you just get in there and unite the year level, have a bit of fun, get a bit random, get competitive is another really, really awesome um, strategy for engaging young people. Yeah, then, then it's a real opportunity to um, break down the barriers, get people open and then have really real and raw discussion. And it's, you know, presenters up the front of the room who've had those experiences, they're relevant and current, they're on the same platforms as young people. And so from there, it can be a really, um, yeah, I guess, fruitful discussion for everyone in the room. Do you have, I'd imagine there's some incredible moments in, you know, these classrooms where you would have both sides, you would have the people that are experiencing the really hard times um, and the people that maybe are contributing to their experience of them really hard times. Um, how does that play out a little bit with the, the kind of work that you do with people that are, you know, trying to flick the switch a little bit or trying to get them to step back and have a look at, you know, their actions and, and, and what their actions could lead to and so forth? That's a really great question. I think taking the approach that I just described before is a way of uniting those two groups of people, you know, on the same page in many ways. It's like um, to then to be the person that is bullying somebody else and to get to participate with them on this random activity, but then sit there and listen to the whole year level, talk about what it would feel like if that was a bullying situation online, to talk about the implications and ultimately, um, you know, for the person that is being bullied, to hear their year level also talk about, um, you know, how it would feel and how it's not okay and that they don't want it, that, you know, those sorts of behaviours at school is a pretty powerful moment. The other thing at Project Rocket is a core guiding principle and value of ours is the concept of unconditional positive regard. The idea that every single person on this planet is capable of amazing things, positive things in the world, and also negative things, that everybody has a story. And so that's why at Project Rocket, we don't use the term bully. or We don't, we don't label people as bully or victims, as I said before, because we see them as barriers, as stereotypes, which young people are rejecting more and more anyway that box people in, it doesn't make you capable of change. And I'd argue that the stereotype and the label of victim is is just as harmful as the label as bully. Um, and so, yeah, I think like it's really breaking this down and using the positive power of the um, group in the room. So it's hearing from people that don't often get to talk. And it's amazing that um, when a room does start talking and kind of calling truth, um, and our presenters really handle this with great care. Psychological safety is um, at the forefront of all of our workshops. We don't talk about individual experiences of people in the room ever because it's incredibly unsafe. But what we do do is we talk about hypothetical situations. So we talk about the future, um, but in a way in which everyone can engage. And a lot of the time it's the people that have never felt like I could stand up and share their opinion. 
And so I think like you get to see people in your year level in a brand new light. You also get to connect with them outside of like maths. You know, you get to hear, oh, that person actually just made a joke or they're funny or, or, or that person actually said something that I really agree with. And I've had that life experience too. You know, it's the opportunity to foster those sort of emotional sparks between one another so that when shit goes down in the school later, they might not join in or they might even intervene or they might reach out to them. And that's why we start, start to see these small step changes um, after work st- workshops. Moving on to like parents. Yeah families you spoke about like you know the past how we experienced things you know and and um even though you might have been bullied or you you might have seen it but your experience of how it was dealt with back then could still be lingering with you so do you work with the parents who for instance if their child comes to them and they're from a very old school and this could be because of background it could be because of cultural background race and everything else yeah and beliefs that when their kid presents to them and says, hey, I'm struggling, this is what it is, they, their, their reaction might be the reaction that was given to them as advice, you know, and that cycle continues where they might say, yeah, I just got to deal mm. with it. I just got to walk away. Do you help a walk or have, you know, does Project Rec- Rocket um, support the parents in any way um, for when they are experiencing that or when a child does disclose to them and, and they can, you know, be supported in what their reaction is and their next steps could mm. be? First of all, parenting is so hard. <laughs> I actually only have a one-year-old and so I'm not dealing with any of these issues, but it is so hard. I have such a newfound respect for the parents that we work with that I just didn't appreciate before. And again, she's only one. I think the vast majority of parents, if they do give bad advice, it's not because they want to give bad advice or harmful advice, I should say. Their intentions are good. It's that they might not understand. Or as you say, um, that's the experience that they had. I mean, one of the most common um, solutions that parents offer a lot of the time is to fight back, is to put someone in their place. And we know that... um, the vast majority of times that people do fight back actually means that they then develop a reputation as someone who fights and then they get in more fights because people just pick fights with them. So it's not actually a really helpful situation, not only the fact that people can get hurt, et cetera, et cetera, but taking that example, you know, it's it's not ill intent. Um, it's not having the understanding and the appreciation for um, the fact that everybody is really different and there is no one size fits all strategy for any of these situations. And I think that's what makes this issue so complex and it's also what makes parenting so complex because when we have these conversations as parents, again, my conversations are limited because she's one, but but I can imagine for parents it's that there's so much fear, there's so much worry, so much apprehension and this feeling, especially when the issues are playing out online, of like hopelessness that I don't understand the platforms, I don't understand the technology and therefore um, – I don't have anything to offer in this situation. I, I'm powerless, so all I have is fear. But what I would say to those those parents is that, true, you don't know the platforms, you don't know the technology. In fact, to be honest, I don't. You know, In fact, a lot of the time our presenters going to school, they'll learn something new every day. T- technology ages quicker than the milk in my fridge. Like it's so rapidly changing. But what parents do know a lot more than they give themselves credit for is how to support young people um, in a way in which they would like to be supported themselves as adults. So, for example, as, a, as an adult, do you want to be told, oh, just get over it or just deal with it? Is that helpful in any way? Or do you want someone to just, do you want someone to just listen to you a bit non-judgmentally, not jump in with leading questions or should we go to the principal or the fear and the panic? It's so hard to contain. But, you know, Young people aren't like this homogenous group that are different to adults. They're, they're, they're mini adults. <laughs> so it's like, what, what, what do we need in that situation? I think recognizing that, as I said before, like we also know what it's like to really feel the pressure to fit in and want to belong. We also know what it's like to, um, even we also know what it's like to be bombarded with technology or to be looking for help online or to be looking to people in our lives to stand up for us. So I think it's like that that would be my advice from the outset is to try and break down the issues and and think about it in a way in which is just human. It's not technology, it's not grown up, it's not young, it's just human. Yeah. Um I won't keep you much longer. I've got just a couple of things. Ideal world, yeah? 
you know, if you could wave that kind of magic wand, what does it look like for the school? What's the kind of culture of that? What's the kind of, you know, um, environment that would be able to strive just positively, you know, as well, if you could wave a magic wand, what would that look like for you? What would be important to make that happen? I guess the magic wand would just be young people at the center of their experiences, of their solutions. And for a school to, um, dismantle the structures that exist to prevent young people from shaping their learning, from shaping their um, experiences at school. And and I think um, the reality is bullying and all the issues that we address are worth addressing at school because if you're not, if you're having a hard time at school, you're not learning. It, it, it's likely you'll actually just stop coming to school entirely and we know the flow-on effects that, that um, those effects last long after school. So magic wand would be that um, adults listen to young people and um, give them the, the spaces to be able to cultivate their own learning environments. Um, I think in, in an online world, you know, it, it, is, it is really daunting and frightening the rapid speed of these technologies, the concept of metaverses and, and what that means for, um, for young people, but also for this world and this space and how we live. I think it's a lot further away than, than is being spoken about, but we are seeing these technologies experimented with and used and then, and then ditched and then experimented with and used and then iterated. And that to me, um, yeah, needs to just slow down. We need to be able to be building technology responsibly and actually making sure that we embed in it from the outset, the values that we need in order to make sure that we aren't, doing what we did 10 years ago, which is then um, retrospectively dealing with all the issues that we didn't control when social media hit us in the beginning. So I think like that, you know, fundamentally my worldview is that social media is phenomenal, that it's such a phenomenal opportunity and space for us to all connect and be ourselves and celebrate diversity. Um, but yeah, fundamentally, I think it needs to slow down this technology for technology's sake. And lastly, for Project Rocket, I guess our short-term goal is by 2025, we want to reach a million students um, in our workshops. And, you know, we're working really hard at doing that. I think, like, we've, we've just launched a um, foundation called the Project Rocket Foundation. And that foundation is a DGR1 endorsed um, charity, charitable arm that's dedicated entirely to making sure that the 4,600 schools in Australia who identify as disadvantaged because they have low socioeconomic um, students in their schools or they face geographic barriers. This country is huge. We make sure that those students get free workshops in schools. So that's a really big part of our vision. We're dedicated more than ever to building a world where kindness and respect can thrive. Um, and I guess me personally, you know, it's getting ready to really pass on that baton, hand it over to the next generation Project Rocket is a movement that will always be growing and iterating with all the people that put their hands on it over the years. Um, and yeah, it's a joy to just experience. It feels like such a privilege to get to be a part of it. Do you speak globally in this? Is that like, do you have an impact globally or is it more in an advisory um, space? It's in an advisory space, but I guess in a, um, on the sort of international stage, Project Rocket does, we love to share our learnings, you know, of, of things that have worked for us in terms of, um, you know, making a dent on the issues that are playing out online. So we work with Snap, TikTok, Google, you know, as I mentioned before, Facebook and Instagram, so Meta um, are our core partners. Um, and it's all about, you know, sharing that vision and holding them accountable, but also doing really fun, innovative stuff to make sure that we are helping shape this new technology moving forward. And also to make sure that we can use the technology for good, for what it was actually intended for. Um, which I would argue is a really, really fun part of our job. We've got to travel the world frequently. Um, you know, just last week, my uh, co-founder and sister, Luce, was over in LA working at Snapchat, Snap's headquarters. And, um, you know, the phenomenal video content and filters that have come out of that trip alone. Um, but no, but what that means <laughs> is that our young people back in um, our workshops here are equipped with all of the knowledge and the tools to make sure that when they go in and work with young people, they are absolute experts. It's phenomenal. Amazing. Rose, I could talk to you all day. Um, I'm, I always feel so amazed when you're in your company of, you know, what you do and, and how you speak about it and just your passion and, and you know, your care um, 
is is you know to this cause and to every other cause that comes your way because I know what you're like you you're you're you know you're for everyone and everything you know um in this podcast you know that part of it is that I get to nom- you get to nominate someone else right so that's you know it's pa- paying it forward passing it forward I ask every guest um who who they could put me in contact with who they can set it up with and who they feel that a good conversation can take place um, and I can share another incredible cause. Amazing. I've got a ripper of a, of a nomination for you. And given that you are so determined to end this podcast with an interview with Barack, this person yes. has shared the stage with Julia Gillard. They're on a mission to get more young women and gender diverse people into parliament, which I'm going to argue is a very, very tough mission. Her name is Ashley Streeter Jones, and she's the founder and CEO of an amazing organization called Raise Our Voice. She's actually talking about teenagers um, standing up and creating change. She's been working in um, youth advocacy and politics since she was a teenager, which I think is phenomenal because I was so, I am still in many ways so disengaged and dissatisfied with politics. Um, and just like the way that young people, I think, can be, not all young people, but very apathetic towards politics. Um, Ash is totally changing that. She's super passionate about calling truth to power and making sure that young women have a voice. And I think she's going to be an absolutely phenomenal guest. And yeah, she's worked with Julia Gillard. So hopefully she'll get you closer to Barack. That sounds amazing. She sounds amazing. And that cause, and that sounds like it could be an amazing conversation. Um, Rosie, thank you so much for for being a guest, but for also for what you do. Like as a parent of of three children, two that are in high school, one that will be in high school in two years' time. One of the biggest things that you know you, you like you just worry about is like that lottery ticket, like you said. Um, like what are they going to pull that good lottery ticket? You know, and and if they don't pull that good lottery ticket, you know, or something goes left or right that isn't to plan, it's so warming and so good to know that people like yourself and you, you know and your sister lucy and the people at all that project rocket are there and are actively every day helping you know young people um through this you know and i think that work is just so so important you're actually helping to shape people's lives and if their lives are gone one way you're helping to get them back to 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 that kind of person they were and you're educating and doing all that I couldn't be in more admiration of what you do and it's just incredible. So, you know, I wish you nothing but the best on what you do going forward with Project Rocket, with yourself and so forth. It's, uh, yeah. The last thing I'd, I'd want to share that I've learned over the years is that standing up for what matters just makes you feel like you matter. You know, when you ask all your guests, why, what keeps you doing this? You know, it's about being a part of something. It's about not resting on our laurels when we see the world in a horrible shape. It's about standing up. And I guess like the more and more we do it, the more and more we feel connected, the more and more we feel like we're creating the kind of world that we can be proud of. And it just makes you feel like you matter. So selfishly, that's how I'd like to end this podcast. (laughs) That's how we're ending it. We're out. (laughs) If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please subscribe and share. If you want to follow me on Instagram or on Twitter, you will see the handles in the show notes. This podcast was produced and edited by Mick Cronin.